Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I am so happy to have you join me here today for a brand new episode of Wellness and Wanderlust. This show is all about helping you create the life you dreamed of one small step at a time. And my goal is to cultivate a space for our listeners to really feel seen and valued at every stage of their journey. Thank you so much for being a part of this incredible, incredible community. This week's guest is Christopher Maher, a former Navy SEAL turned mental health expert who combines a SEAL mindset with modern stress management strategies. Many of us are not living in a alignment with our higher selves. And in this conversation, Christopher shares how we can get there through breathwork, vulnerability with others, and more. We talk about his path to becoming a SEAL and what his wellness journey looked like along the way, ways to get out of our fight or flight response when we're not in physical danger, how our bodies hold on to the imprints of our generational trauma, and much more. It's a powerful interview, so I'm going to turn it over to Christopher now. Enjoy this week's conversation. Christopher, thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you on the show. You have a really incredible story, and I know it's going to resonate with our listeners. Before we dive into more of the work that you do, why don't you first start out, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, My name is Christopher Lee Maher. I am from Pennsylvania, born and raised there. I um, dealt with a lot of stress as a very young child, as a young adult, and I spent the last 22, 23 years focused on figuring out how to reduce what I call a person's lifetime accumulated stress load and helping people achieve and live in a way that feels free and abundant with a quiet mind, a comfortable body, grounded emotions, and an intense amount of energy. And I have patented and put together what I consider to be the most powerful, grounded, transformational system on the planet that I call True Body Intelligence. And the five-day process that I work with people one-on-one with is called Rational Intimate Transfiguration. So I spend every day and every night doing that Monday through Friday. And I've been really focused in this direction for a very long time. So I have an intense amount of information and understanding in multiple fields, and I'm the world's foremost authority on stress, the impact of stress, and the solutions for unresolved stress. Well, and that is something that so many of us, every single person on this planet experiences and that we can all stand to learn more about and how we can manage it for ourselves a lot better. And so I really think you're doing an amazing service that is such a gift to the world. Why don't you tell us too, you you come to this from a unique background. You were a Navy SEAL and that in itself requires quite a bit of that fortitude and you know certainly exposes you to levels of stress that most of of us listening have never experienced. So talk to me about how you got into that and how your background as a Navy SEAL plays into the work that you do today. So after I went to boarding school for 10 years and after boarding school, I decided to go to college and probably a year and a half in, I wasn't going to class. I was doing a lot of partying, spending more time being social than anything else. And 
one of the administrators sat down with me and said, look, I don't feel like you're being challenged here. Is this really where you want to be? And I thought, actually, you know what? He's right. So I left school and I decided to go back home and open up a sandwich shop right next to an industrial park in Pennsylvania. And after about six months of getting up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning to go pick up cold cuts, I decided this isn't very exciting. This is not very exciting at all. Yes, I make my own hours. I show up when I want to. I'm controlling the menu. But yeah, there's not enough time for me. And one of my buddies that I went to boarding school with, his mom, she came to pick me up on my birthday. I just turned 20 years old and she said, hey, I think it'd be great if you came to live with me and my family. And I thought, why is she asking me to come live with her and her family? This seems weird. Yet inside, there was another part of me that was like, if this is what's going on, let's follow these breadcrumbs and see where they go. And so she lived in a farmhouse in Kutztown, Pennsylvania, about a 10 minute drive away from the university. And after I was there for about a month, she decided she got a, an opportunity to buy a house in town right across from Kutztown University. And when I went downstairs and we unpacked everything, there was a magazine, a biannual magazine about SEAL training. And on the cover were maybe eight to 10 groups of guys with a telephone pole over their shoulder running down the beach. And as soon as I saw that image, immediately I got a guttural response that told me, that is the path for me. These people will challenge me. And I could tell from the grimacing on their faces that <laughs> the experience that they were having was very intense. And I started to do some research. And after a short amount of time, I went to see a recruiter and he conned me or tricked me into going into the Navy but not actually having a direct line to go to SEAL training. And so once I finally got there, which took me about a year and a half, I made that my life. And when you walk into the physical training courtyard, up to your left is a statement written in blue and yellow, and it says the only easy day was yesterday. And they kept their promise. And I was there for about a year and a half before I got my orders to go into the SEAL teams. And it was challenging physically, it was challenging emotionally, it was challenging spiritually, it was challenging energetically. And it helped shape my discipline, it helped shape my character, it helped shape my sense of belonging, my sense of knowing it was a rite of passage. As a male, I was happy in retrospect to have a rite of passage. I knew when I collected my certificate that day, my diploma, that I was a man. And I was in charge of how I felt. I was in charge of how I thought. I was in charge of how I acted. I was in charge of my own sense of self. That came in handy because seven years later, eight years later, my body started to fall apart. And I was happy that I could lean on that type of character. Because instead of choosing what was available in allopathic Western medicine, it gave me the courage and the inner strength to forge a path of my own and create a very powerful body of work that allowed me to resolve all of my own emotional, physical, psychological, and energetic challenges through a deep investigation that I went into as I traveled around the world to figure out what worked and what didn't work in my process to creating and manifesting a 
true transformational experience that answers the call for all the people that I have the opportunity to work with. I think that's so inspiring. And being a Navy SEAL, I mean, the level of stress that you are put under, mental, physical, emotional, all of that, I mean, that has to shape you in such a way that you bring such a unique perspective to the work that you're doing. I'd love to know how you took that. And as you took this path, maybe away from the allopathic medicine and starting to look into these different modalities, how do you combine the two? And and what did you learn along that path? What I learned is this. Most systems are promising to take you a mile, and ultimately, they only have the ability to take you an inch. And at the time, I was happy for the inch that I got because I didn't know that a mile was possible. So retrospectively, if I had the opportunity to do it again, I would want to meet me. And so when you are spending a lot of time, when you're spending a lot of energy, when you're spending a lot of resources and you're investing a lot of your emotions and spirits, what you hope for is a resolution that you don't have to go back and redo the work. So, you know, what would this be? 1997, 98, I was, you know, losing my hearing. In 99, 2001, I was really starting to lose my vision. And then by the time I was 33, you know, I needed a full-blown hip replacement. And, you know, I was getting up, urinating anywhere between four to six to 10 times a night, depending on the night. I needed to nap on a semi-regular basis. And on the outside, great. I look like Adonis, good-looking guy beautiful body, strong energy, very direct. And yet on the inside, I was masking all of this comfort that I was in because I didn't know that you could reach out and say, hey, I'm in pain. It was never modeled for me as a child. It was never modeled for me as a young adult. It was never modeled for me in boarding school. It was certainly never modeled for me in the military or college. And so I thought when you were in pain, You just deal with it internally. Because of the circumstances that I dealt with as an infant, I learned to self-soothe. And so self-soothing became my go-to. And I was very good at tending to my own emotions, my own feelings, and my own complications that were happening in my own body. And so once you go through SEAL training and the boarding school that I went to, and you're heavily institutionalized, you learn to become a lone wolf. You learn to become self-reliant, which is a positive quality, right? Like who would argue with someone who's self-reliant, knows how to make their bed, knows how to cook for themselves, you know, knows how to show up, be functional, knows how to relate to others, knows how to follow through with their word and is consistent. Who would argue with those? You know, that would be considered a high state of development. Yet when it disallows you to operate from a place of openness because you're leaning on stoicism so heavily, you miss the opportunity to have a shared experience with someone else by inviting them into your discomfort, into your confusion, into your anger, into your anxiety, and into your pain. And so that was the norm for me. And I think that came along with a sense of loneliness that I covered up with other strategies. And, you know, the stripping away of that 
is what helped me get in touch with who it is I really was. I was an introvert who was operating as an extrovert because of how heavily institutionalized and how heavily socialized I was. And as I dropped into my hermetical state and into my natural introverted state, I started to think deeper. I started to feel deeper. I started to act from a place of emotional investment. And that was a radical shift for me. Was I always someone who was kind and generous? And yeah, I had all those things, right? In spades. And yet, was I focused from a position of balance? There's different phases of my life. And one phase of my life, I'm solely focused on me. And on another phase of my life, I'm solely focused on others. And now I have this beautiful combination of operating from a balanced masculine and feminine position. Feminine position focused on self, masculine position focused on things outside of me, right? So focused on people, focused on me, and focused on things. When you're stressed and when you deal with any level of trauma, when your mind is in a state of precognitive function, as an adult, you have to realize that your cognitive mind does not have access to your subconscious programming. And so, you know, you have to hopefully have someone in your life who cares about you enough to go, hey, I think there might be a better way. This is something that I've been observing in you. Would you be okay if I gave you some feedback of how I feel it's impacting me and maybe disserving you in your mission and your purpose and your life. And fortunate for me, I had a few people in my life that were willing to go, hey, look, this might be food for thought for you. And there's some things that you can do in the world, some people you can connect to that I think might be helpful for you in your journey. Yeah, I think that that is something so many can relate to that almost that self-reliance as a trauma response. I feel like I definitely myself in times of stress, I'll fluctuate between being totally focused on myself and being totally focused on people pleasing and helping everybody else around me and putting myself last without bringing the two together. And that can be really harmful for us. And it is difficult sometimes to ask people for help or to invite them in. But some of the most meaningful experiences I've had in friendships, relationships, in my family have been through the challenging times and through having those people there that can hold space for you. It unlocks a different part of that relationship that wasn't there before. And it's so meaningful. And when it is someone that's coming to you from that place of care that can see you, because that's the other thing is I think when you are self-reliant or when you're not falling into, you know, the textbook definition of what we think of when we think of someone who's depressed or anxious and you're functioning well to the outside that people don't necessarily see it. They say now, you know, check on the strong friend. And I think that just resonates so deeply for a lot of us. I'm glad that you have the those people in your life that brought that to you? Because I was going to ask what it took for you to start to reach out and what that lesson looked like for you. I mean, for me, it was simple. When you're in pain, the way that the body works is this. If you have a pain, let's say you have a pain in your heel, right? Your plantar fasciitis. The body will eventually reorganize the bones in a way so that there's not pain in your heel anymore. But what will happen is now there'll be pain in your ankle. And then you keep pressing forward in your physical activities. And then eventually one day you wake up, oh, the pain's gone. But then your next injury, 
it's in your knee. And then it travels all the way up your body till it's either in your low back, your hip, or your neck, and then you can't get away from it, right? Because when it's in your neck, it restricts your ability to move your head. And, you know, the question is, how much pain is someone willing to deal with before they make the choice, one, to investigate it, and two, to reach out and ask for help? And because of my conditioning, you know, in the SEAL teams, there's a saying in SEAL training, if you don't mind, it doesn't matter. And what that means is, and what they're alluding to is this idea that, hey, if you have pain, push through it. If you're okay with pushing through it, then ignore the discomfort that you have. And that is a limiting belief. When your mind is so strong that it's pushing you through your pain and you're ignoring the physiological trauma that it's creating, your conscious mind is now damaging your subconscious body. And, you know, the question is, why would someone continue to damage their subconscious body in order to prove that they have a strong mind? And so the lesson for me is simple. You know, when you reach out and you invite somebody into your experience, when I reached out and I invited someone into my experience, it allowed a conversation that led to some tears. And my feeling is when the tears flow, the healing begins. And, you know, when you have a very strong body and you have a very strong mind, the lone wolf mode is easy to get into. And what I mean by that is a state of hyper-independence, right? Independence all by itself is a very high-functioning quality. The question is, when does hyper-independence turn into a low-functioning behavior, right? And that's when it shifts into you are only self-reliant to the point where you lack the ability to be honest with those around you in terms of how they're making you feel. And when you can be honest with the people around you and how they're making you feel, you're inviting them into your inner emotional experience. And that takes an intense amount of courage to do so because as a society that was frowned upon in ancient times. Yeah, I think that vulnerability piece is something that it really is terrifying. And even, you know, in a workplace setting, I spoke up in a meeting where we were kind of sharing our thoughts about it was more of like a company wide survey that had gone out and I got very vulnerable about my feelings. And there were some things that I didn't realize I was necessarily going to share with the group, but that I really felt that I needed to. And there was something to that, that while it was so scary, I think it really did help me just to feel a little bit more seen and to be understood in a way that I think so often that hyper independence, it almost reminds me of, I think it's like the frog in the pot of water where you keep turning the temperature up a little bit at a time and it's uncomfortable, but he doesn't notice until it's completely boiling. And I think we we get ourselves into these situations so often and it can be really hard to determine, am I simply being tough? Am I trying to be resilient and get through it? Or am I being so independent that I'm hurting myself? And so I do think that becomes such a fine line for a lot of us and it can be really hard to distinguish that at times. Mm. It takes a lot of courage, like you're saying, to be able to reach inward and share how you feel like you're being impacted by those around you. And many times when you share that with family, you know, they get triggered, right? Now they shift into a fight or flight state and they either disappear into their room and slam the door or, or they get really quiet or they launch back and defend a position or worse yet they then go on attack. And so 
being honest, right, is the honorable quality. And when you're honest about how something's making you feel, it gives you the opportunity for it to shift. The people, are they going to want to hear it in the moment? No, absolutely not. Yet ultimately, you're sharing that for your benefit. If you're with a mature person, they have the ability to allow themselves to see that through an interpersonal lens rather than a personal lens. And they realize every projection that you have is something about you. And, you know, being a teacher, and I mean, some people will call me a spiritual teacher. Yes, I'm spiritual in nature, but ultimately, I'm a teacher. I have a science mind. I have a Buddha heart, but I have a science mind. When I'm teaching, I'm teaching for the benefit of others. And, you know, when you're in that professional setting and you have students and you have clients and you have peers, the best thing you can do for every one of those relationships is to inform them when they're doing something that's bothering you and to stay true to what your intuitive action was because everyone is going to take what you're sharing in their own way. And the key is to make the choice to no longer have to manage how other people feel about you. One of the first things that I teach people is fire yourself from managing other people's negative feelings or thoughts about you. Wow. Because when you fire yourself from that position, you actually start moving into a state of freedom because now you have the opportunity to be authentic, right? And again, you sit down or you lay in bed and you say nine times, body, fire yourself from managing other people, other people's negative feelings or thoughts about me. Because when you inform your body to do so, your body goes, you mean I actually have permission to do that? And then you catch yourself when you go into management and then you pull your energy back and you go, you know what? I'm going to let them be sad. I'm going to allow them to feel feelings of anger. I'm going to allow them to deal with feelings of frustration. I'm going to allow them to deal with feelings of fear. I'm going to allow them to deal with feelings of anxiety. And when you do that, you're offering them the greatest gift. And the gift is for them to deal with themselves. And maybe you're lucky. Maybe you have a friend in your life. Maybe you have a parent. Maybe you have a loved one in your life. Maybe you have an interpersonal romantic relationship where you can be painfully honest about how things are making you feel. And they have enough maturity and development within themselves to process that. For the most part, people don't have that. And so it would be a fantasy for anyone to think that you could share honestly about your emotions and how you feel you're being impacted by these people and they're going to behave in a righteous way because people are stressed. And when people are stressed, it simply means they're locked into a state of fight or flight. And some people, they fight. Some people, they run. Other people, they freeze. And other people, they fawn be courageous enough to give them the space to process things on their own. 
Yeah, I mean, so much of what, so much of how we react to other people, really, it all does just tie to how we feel about ourselves. And I don't think we give that enough credit, but I love that phrase, that body fire yourself for managing other people's negative feelings. Because I, you know, when I think about that fight or flight, I am very much the fawn. I have always been, you know, the people pleaser. If people are blowing up in the situation, let me just take care of it. Let me make sure that everybody is okay. And I can manage it well in the moment. And I work in public relations in my full time where you do have to keep that level head and you do have to keep people maybe happy in that moment. But then when that all dies down and you get home and you're like, oh my gosh, why am I feeling all of these negative things that were never mine to carry in the first place? And I think this really does give people that freedom because even if they don't go into that fawn response, we do feel a responsibility. And I mean, of course, we want to, I think, approach that from a place of kindness. We're not looking to, you know, well, you did this, this and this, but really in more of a constructive way, because we want the relationship hopefully to improve or at least to go off in the, you know, our separate ways, but in a hopefully in a better way. But yeah, it's it's challenging um, managing our own emotions. So then like to think that we have to manage everybody else's. I mean, it really is kind of silly when it comes down to it. But we really, I think, do put that pressure on ourselves. Yeah, because people have been trained from a very very young age to want to be liked, to want to be approved of, right? To want to be accepted. And the question is, is the liking and the approval and the acceptance of someone else a detriment to your own development of your character? And when you're withholding honesty, then it in fact is a detriment to the development of your character. And so how do you share? How do you address? How do you inform? And my suggestion, and what's worked for me, is to simply inform about how this is making me feel, plus the reason why it's making me feel this way from the things that I've experienced in my past. And now it gives the person context and an invitation to begin to understand you and why you think the way you do and why you move the way you do, why you breathe the way you do, and why you act the way you do. And as you offer that invitation, now you have an opportunity to have authentic relating and an opportunity to come together through shared experience. Because when you step into that state of vulnerability through authentic, honest self-expression, openness, and vulnerability, they then go, you know what? I had a similar experience when I was in sixth grade, and I remember how that made me feel. And in time, as they're driving home, or they're in their office, or they're at the gym, they get the opportunity to investigate, one, why they're behaving that way, and two, how could they do things differently? Yeah, because we forget that when when you and I come into a conversation, when when two people are entering a situation, they're each bringing like the sum of all of their life experiences, yeah. relationships, traumas, and there could be something that you have 
the best intentions in the world, but it could be very triggering to the other person and you're not aware. And I think it can be really challenging because we all want to, most of us, I would say, want to think of ourselves as kind, well-meaning people. And then when someone tells you, even in a constructive way, that what you have said or done has you know, been harmful to them in that way, we want to go on the on the defense because I'm not that kind of person. I'm, I'm a good person and I would never. But I think it really does allow us to reflect on how we're approaching the relationship and, you know, to understand them. I think I I love that you mentioned not only like how it's making you feel, but why. Yeah, because there are there are some experiences I've had that because of that, I may be react more reactive to something than than I would have been 10 years ago or or what have you. And for the people in my life to understand that, I think that's so beneficial. And I have also found that when others have come to me with, you know, sharing their own, whether it's capital T trauma or the lowercase trauma, but any challenges they may have faced, sometimes, you know, when I go back to that reflection later on, not only does it cause me to kind of reevaluate how I may have approached a situation or how I may have treated other people, but it may even cause me to realize, well, I experienced something very similar. I wonder if that's why I approach X, Y, and Z in the way that I do. And I think that it teaches us more about ourselves, but then also I think it, it almost uplevels the relationship or that friendship in a, in a different way. Mm-hmm. I think that is so important, just kind of recognizing again that we're, we're coming into it with each of our own life experiences, I would love to know because I think that many of us are in that fight or flight or fawn or freeze when we're not in the situation that really requires it for our survival. Obviously, if you're being chased by the lion, I would imagine as a Navy SEAL, you are in those situations where that physiological response is I mean, it's part of our survival, but we also have that when we get an email we don't like or when we're operating throughout the day in situations that are not physically harmful to us. And I'd love to know, how do we get out of that fight or flight state that we find ourselves in when, it, when it's not helpful to us? I mean, the, the most obvious answer is to manage your breath, right? It's free. There's no teaching required. And you can implement it at the perfect moment, which is the moment that you become aware that your anger is increasing, your anxiety is increasing, your fear is increasing, or your self-righteousness is increasing. Those are the four markers to really pay attention to. Am I starting to feel more anxiety? Is this situation making me feel more angry? Is this situation making me feel more fearful? Or is this situation making me feel more self-righteous? And as soon as you do that, the first step you have to take is figuring out how am I going to call myself out? Am I brave enough to do that? I had someone that I've been working with who is works in the government and they have a very high ranking position. And they were talking about when they're at work and they're dealing with different types of stress, what should they do? And I said, look, your best gift that you have in that moment is to call yourself out. Tell your team, I'm struggling with this idea emotionally. This project that we're on is giving me some anxiety. And by simply stating the obvious of what's going on for you, everyone else is probably having a similar experience, maybe less high than yours, less dramatic than yours. And yet calling yourself out gives you a lot of freedom. So an example of that would be a husband and a wife, they're in the car, kids are in the back, they're driving them, and the wife says, turn left here, Butch. 
Well, Butch already knows how to get where he's going. He's driven to the school 300 times in the last five years. And then she's telling him to turn left at the stop sign. So he's starting to get that feeling of like, why is she always bossing me around? And he's starting to get angry. He could simply lean over and go, babe, what I want you to know is when you suggest for me to go left when I already know where I'm going, it bothers me because I had a mom who was always micromanaging my energy. So I'm going to make a request. And my request is when I'm driving, you refrain from giving me directions unless I ask. And so that is a prime example of like, one, he calls himself out. He informs that he's angry. He lets her know where it comes from. And then he makes a simple request. And then from that moment there, he fires himself from rescuing her from her upset. Oh, you never listen. And that's it. He just stays quiet. And he lets her get out whatever she needs to get out. And then he offers her question. Why do you feel unsafe when we're in the car? And then it gives her the opportunity to offload the reason why she feels unsafe. And now he got to share and offload. She gets to share and offload. And guess what? The next time they get in the car and they pull up to the same old stop sign, he turns left. And now he is unagitated and she feels free to be more safe because she allowed him to know like, well, when we get in the car, my experience of you is you typically have a difficult time asking for directions. And when we're meandering around, I feel like we're wasting time that we don't have. And he goes, oh, guess what, babe? You know what? You're right. That's fair. I understand. So what you can do for me is you can simply ask me, hey, Butch, honey, do you know where you're going? And if I don't know where I'm going, I'll honestly go, no, I don't know where I'm going, but I'll figure it out. Or I'll inform you that, yes, I do know where I'm going. And now there's a simple solution. And he calls himself out. So now he goes to work and guess what happened? He had a meeting with his team. He had to speak in public about a touchy subject. He informed them how he was feeling. And he went into the speech and a great speech because he informed, he called himself out in the moment. The other option that you have really to create a pattern interrupt is to engage your breath, right? So if your anxiety is a three, you got to bring your breath up to a three. So the way that you're breathing right now, the way that the listener's breathing, their breath is at a zero to a one. When you're breathing as deep and as fast as you can, that's a 10. So if your anxiety is a 10, you find a quiet place. And you breathe as deep and as fast as you can till your anxiety goes down. But if it's at a three, you bring your breath up to a three. If it's at a five, you bring your breath up at a five. And it's a very simple way of interrupting that fight or flight response that has you locked into that inappropriate stress state, which is a stress pattern, right? And how do you resolve the distress? You reduce the pattern's power and strength. How do you do that? You interfere with your breath, or with being honest about the emotion that you're feeling, either fear, anxiety, anger, or self-righteousness. Whenever I hear someone sigh, I already know they're frustrated. So when they're in a room with me, I'll say to them, hey, you seem a little bit frustrated. Is there something I can do to help you? Right? When you see someone clenching their jaw, you already know they're angry. Right? When you see someone who has sweat pouring out from under their armpits, and they're giving a presentation at work, you already know they're in fight or flight. They're locked into fear. That's why they're sweating so much. 
And so when you recognize as an individual, these stress patterns and these stress states interrupt the pattern with something, either be honest about the feeling you're having with the person you're having it with, or find a quiet room, go outside and breathe for five or 10 minutes until you have an immediate reduction in or satisfactory reduction in your anger, your anxiety, your fear, or your self-righteous position. Now, these are bottom feeder. This is, this is like super low-hanging fruit that I'm giving you. But I'm giving this to you, the listener. I'm giving this to you so you can actually take heartfelt action to your own benefit. But I have tools that I've developed that are a thousand times more profound than the thing that I'm teaching you. But I'm giving this to you because it doesn't cost any money and it doesn't cost any time and it costs very little effort or energy and it can create an immediate result. But if what you want is to be in this situation that you're in and never have anxiety or anger or fear or self-righteousness take you over, then you have to find me and I'll show you how to do that. I really do think that when we're having that stress response, especially when it's getting to that level, I think one of the things that can be so challenging for us is that it just feels like everything is completely out of our control. And so it's a very reactive thing. And I feel like by walking out of the room and taking those breaths or by taking control of of the situation by having the conversation and by addressing those things, I mean, you're taking your power back in a situation where you might be feeling very powerless. Yeah, I mean, you're saying essentially to that experience, to your body, you're saying, hey, listen, I have a right to take heartfelt action to my own benefit. And you simply excuse yourself. Excuse me. I need to go to the restroom. You're not lying. You're going to go to the restroom, sit in the stall and do some breathing. Or, hey, I need to step outside for a couple of minutes. I'll be right back. Exit. Take advantage. When your body and your brain and your nervous system and your heart know that you're taking action to its own benefit, it starts to cooperate. The challenge is this. The thing that has every human on the planet locked into that inappropriate stress state is their wounded inner child feels powerless and is now starting to act out to inform you that he or she feels powerless and they need love and affection and reassurance that everything's going to be okay. Because every child at some point was scolded beyond a level that they could process or understand. Why? Because all children in a precognitive state, no child understands context. What does precognitive mean? It means this child is without cognition. It means their ideas and thoughts about reality live in fantasy. Seven-year-old children, six-year-old children, five-year-old children believe that this past December, a fat man in a red and white suit was going to come down their chimney and eat mama's cookies and drink her milk and put presents underneath the tree because children live in fantasy. So if you're a parent and you're scolding your child, what you need to understand is your child doesn't understand. Like fundamentally, you parents, anyone who's on this call, you need to understand this. I'm going to say this again so you really get it. When a child is in a precognitive state from one to seven, they do not understand the context of what you're talking about. All they're attempting to do is do what you told them to avoid punishment, rejection, humiliation, violence, discomfort, and pain. They do not understand what you're saying. 
but they won't pick up that red ball and throw it because they don't want to get punished. That's different than understanding context. Parents make some very poor assumptions. And then what happens is these children grow up into adults and then their winning strategy is the one that they employed to avoid punishment, rejection, humiliation, violence, discomfort, and pain from their parents or their siblings, or their teachers, or their administrators, or their coaches, the people who were in authoritative positions over them. So your stress response is in direct reflection and relative to your original stress state that you experienced as a child that's still unresolved in your body, brain, and nervous system. It's left as an energetic and energetic imprint. And calling yourself out when you're feeling anxious or angry or self-righteous or fearful or interrupting with your breath will create an immediate shift in your inner child's ability to take control over you with this stress response. Give them reassurance by taking heartfelt action to your own benefit. That is a simple, direct, immediate, instantaneous response and solution for the stress state that you're locked into. Well, it makes a lot of sense because as an adult, I can reasonably in a conversation with somebody understand, like maybe pick up on some of the signs that they may be struggling with something. Or I can even understand if maybe someone, you know, snaps too quickly at you in response to something that maybe this person is having a bad day. I can reasonably give some of that benefit of the doubt. But as a child, you're never thinking, oh, well, your parents are acting this way because something really, the, the economy and something really bad happened at work today and they have all the, you know, there's a war going on or whatever is happening. Even I'd say older than seven and getting a lot older, we don't have that context. And so really understanding how much this still affects us as adults is so important. Something I'd love to know, you illustrated it really well talking about that couple in the car and how they kind of get down to those root causes. And so often the the fight is not about whatever it is that it seems like to the outside that it seems it is, it is about something deeper, whether it's interpersonal or just within ourselves. Sometimes we're too close to the situation. It can be really hard to kind of uncover, hey, I'm reacting to this in this way because of this root cause, because of this thing that happened in childhood. How do we start to, and I know this is probably a big question and I think that there's probably, you know, a lot of work that goes into this, but how do we start to identify those root causes of our stress? Well, it's easy. The root cause is always some level of fear, right? Because without fear, you can never get to anxiety. Without fear, you can never get to anger. Without fear, you can never get to self-righteousness. And so some people, what they fear is they fear confrontation. Other people, they fear standing out because they were raised in a household where they were taught to never, ever shine too bright because then they would be taking consideration away from another, right? And so every negative stress response is rooted in the precognitive experience, wound to seven and from seven to 13. And all you got to do is look into your history because before your parents had you, they had their own set of experiences. And those sets of experiences were passed on to you through the sperm and the ovum. And it's passed on to you through what are called epigenetics. 
And what that means is my mom and dad's inner deficiencies, insecurities, fears, and limiting beliefs that they had before they had me all got passed off to me. And so look no further than your childhood environment because your lifetime accumulated stress load is made up of your epigenetics, your genetics, the environment that you were raised in, and the daily accumulated stress that has gone unresolved your entire life. And so when you start looking towards markers, towards hints, go back and start asking questions. Sit your mom and dad down and go, look, what was I really like when I was a child? How did you punish me? Because your parents may have punished you in a way that you don't remember when you were five, that you certainly don't remember when you were four, that you don't remember when you were three. And so the thing about this process of understanding lifetime accumulated stress is that your body holds all of it and your energy fields hold an imprint of all of it and your emotions hold an imprint of all of it and then your brain holds an electrical imprint. Any place in your body where you have pain, an example of pain would be a headache or a migraine. The headache and the migraine are informing you of where you store and what type of stress and distress that you were under when you were in your precognitive to cognitive state of function. And so pain is the greatest indicator. It definitely makes sense. And I definitely think, you know, it's something I think about a lot with my own family. And I think more and more of us are starting to really talk about that generational trauma and, you know, whether that goes back seven generations, but what we're carrying with us that was never really necessarily ours to carry, but that was imprinted on us because of whatever may have happened in our family situations. I remember being completely shocked going to a functional medicine doctor and one of the first questions they had asked was about my mom's pregnancy with me and did I have a traumatic childbirth, which I actually did, or, you know, was my my own coming into the world and not me giving birth, but was that traumatic and asking some of those questions about that period because I never really thought about that. Yep. I just thought, well, she didn't smoke, you know, at that time and she wasn't drinking or doing any of that. So, you know, I didn't think really about how any of that may have shaped that. But even looking at my parents and situations that we've had where I've talked to them about, hey, this this is how this is affecting me and learning that it's actually a watered down version of what their parents may have exactly. done. And yep. Yeah. And I was very fortunate having both sets of grandparents living very close to where my parents live. So then as an adult, getting to see the parent-child dynamics with my parents and their parents for a long time, it gave me, I think, a sense of empathy so that I, I understand a little bit more if my dad is a little bit tough on me or if my mom reacts in a way that I don't find productive because now I see that, hey, we all we, we all have these situations and they were someone's kid. You, you know what I mean? And so it's just so interesting to see that. And I think people talk about the nature versus nurture, but they're seeing this in, in the science that it yeah. is having a profound I mean, effect on our genes. The thing is, it isn't nature versus nurture. It's nature plus nurture. That's the difference. And so anyone who would want to question either of those has done very little investigation into physiology, genetics, epigenetics. And on the other side, they have done very little investigation into counseling and psychology. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm going to go back to the point that I was making earlier. Every pain that you have in your body, and when I mean your body, people have emotional pain, right? What's emotional pain? How's it get expressed? Anxiety, depression, hopelessness, 
repression, borderline behavior, suicidal ideations. That's emotional pain. Other people have mental pain, paranoia, schizophrenia. They're cowardice. They're codependent. And other people have physical pain. Form of physical pain would be they're avoidant, they're sadistic, they're mentocidal, they're passive aggressive. And then other people have spiritual anger. They're disapproving, they're excessively judgmental, they're overly critical, they're standing in an overly moralizing position and preachy to those around them. So everyone's pain expresses itself through one of those pathways. And so other people, it's structural or it's physiological or they can't smell or they have no taste or they lost their vision or they have back pain, neck pain, hip pain, knee pain, ankle pain, wrist pain, digit pain, toe pain. Okay. And then other people, they have headaches or they have menstrual cramps. Like wherever your pain is, your pain is your indicator that you are locked into a high stress state. Any one of those forms of pain is a high stress state. Anyone you know in your life that's suffering from addiction is locked into an inappropriate stress state. They are suffering from the inside out and their addiction is informing you. Some people, they're addicted to their phone. Some people, they're addicted to porn. Some people, they're addicted to caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, pharmaceutical drugs, recreational drugs, food coloring, preservatives. You have to be willing to look in the mirror in your own eyes and go, hey, where's my pain? And then once you discover, yeah, you know what? My pain is actually more emotional. But if it's emotional, you got to go into the past. Why? Because the emotional body is retroactive in nature, which means it's always connected to the past. And then you got to do what you did. You got to do a little investigation. Start asking some questions. Start getting an understanding. You know, I had a mother who had borderline personality disorder, right? She was Tinkerbell. And then give her 10 minutes and she was going to turn into Godzilla. And then she could go back to Tinkerbell in 2.2 seconds. And so she struggled with some level of trauma at a sexual level when she was 13 years old. My grandfather, her father, he died of cirrhosis of the liver. So he struggled with his own pains and his own discomforts. And so all you got to do is look three or four generations into your lineage, and you're going to find an intense amount of mental illness, alcoholism, mental illness drug addiction, mental illness, borderline behavior, mental illness, obsessive compulsive disorder, mental illness. I mean, and the list goes on. You've got to be brave enough to do a little bit of investigation to see what's in my family. And then once you know, guess what? There's a part of your body that holds the imprint of that disorder. And you got to go into your body, and you got to take it out. And then once you take it out, guess what happens? Instead of being passive aggressive, you're self-empowered. Instead of being avoidant, you're taking heartfelt and right action to your own benefit. Instead of being hopeless, you're feeling hopeful. Instead of feeling depressed, you're acting in a passionate fashion. Instead of being indecisive, you're decisive and clear. Instead of being confused, you're able to solve your problems easily. And so every human on the planet has a way in which their levels of unresolved lifetime accumulated stress, it has a way in which it's acting out in you, in your body, in your life. Go through your life with a fine tooth comb and see where the bumpy roads are. And then chisel away at those bumps in the road 
So they're nice and smooth. And what happens is you end up with a life where you have a mind that's consistently quiet, emotions that are grounded, a body that's comfortable, a spirit that's at peace. Who wouldn't want that on a daily basis? And if you do nothing, you get nothing. Who wants to walk around for one more day being anxious if they don't have to? Why would you want to be angry if you didn't have to be? Why would you want to be self-righteous if there was no need? And why would you want to be filled with massive amounts of fear that keep you from living the life that you want? Why would anyone do that? The only way and the reason they would do that and they would choose to do that is they were scared of their own power. And they were punished heavily as a child. And they were handed off a set of genetics and epigenetics that are distorted and genes that are turned off. That's the only reason why you would do that. Because a rational-minded person would want quiet mind, grounded emotions, abundant energy, and a comfortable body. Everybody would want that. And then you would do whatever it took to get it if you didn't have it. So if you think you're rational, the only way that you know your mind is rational is if you're taking a deep look at who you really are, be honest about where you're really at, and you're finding people that can get you where you want to be. And if you're not doing that, you're living in and out of an irrational mindset, an irrational emotional set, an irrational physical instinctual set, and an irrational spiritual alignment. And what I want the callers to have is the opportunity to be able to resolve what's been unresolved inside of them so that they could be joyful in their heart, peaceful in their spirits, happy in their minds, and strong and powerful in their bodies. Because I want to live on a planet with a few million people who are walking around like that. Because that means the whole planet is going to get an opportunity to have those experiences in the future. And we all deserve the right to happiness. Yeah. And I think many need to hear that. I think so often we don't give enough credit to the phrase hurt people, hurt people. But Mm. it is so true. No matter how kind we may think we are, no matter how well-intentioned we are, if we're operating from that place of fear, it's so easy to lash out at someone in a way that they, they don't deserve or to approach a situation in a way or at the very least, like maybe we're not even approaching other people from a negative mindset, but we are not approaching our own work and our own lives from, you know, a place of abundance and joy and creativity and all of the good things. And then so the great things that we could be doing with our minds and with with our talents and everything, we're not we're not doing them. We're not living up to that potential and people all over are losing out because of that. Mm, everywhere. It's happening everywhere. And look, here's the great thing. 50 years ago, When my mom was suffering, the conversation that we're having right now, no one was having on the planet. No one even understood. If you would have said the word trauma to my mother, she would have looked at you like, what does that mean? No one understood the full effect of abuse. No one understood the full effect of spanking a child. No one understood the full effect of being dismissive to a child. No one understood the full effect of being excessively controlling to a child. No one fully understood the effect at emotional level of abandoning a child. And now we do. Now we can see it. And we can see it everywhere because there's people like you, there's people like me all over the planet 
that are willing to hold up a mirror and go, hey, I got challenges and I need help. Or I got a path over here that I think would be helpful to you. Yeah. You know, something else that you mentioned as we were talking about looking in the mirror and going deeper into why am I feeling whatever pain I may be feeling, and you talked about kind of pulling that pain out of your body. What does that look like? I mean, I I know that could probably be different for different parts of the body, different types of physical pain that people are experiencing, but what are some of those changes that that we start to make once we identify that this is the source? Well, here's the great thing. In your body, you have 16 channels of energy that all go directly through the center of a muscle. When you remove the tension from the belly of the muscle, and I don't mean from the connective tissue with yoga, I mean from the belly of the muscle with isometric, with concentric and eccentric contractions, it changes the electromagnetic pulse that goes through that part of the body. And it shifts that part of the brain that's going through that part of the body with the nervous innervation. And it changes and pulls that aspect of that being back into magnetic coherence. So then the question is, well, how do I do it? Well, there's only so many positions that the body can get into. And in every one of those positions, you need to do an isometric, a concentric, and an eccentric contraction in a very specific fashion. And when you do this again and again and again, you get an instantaneous permanent change because now you've moved back into magnetic and electrical coherence with the universe around you. And now your behavior is in alignment, right? Because the only way to move out of alignment into low functioning behavior, which would be pain, any pain state, is to be incoherent, which is to be disintegrous. Because see, when you're in coherence magnetically and electrically and energetically, the universe is conspiring to your benefit from a positive position, a positive platform. When you're in negative coherence, the universe is acting to your benefit through negative benefit, negative positions, negative platforms. So the choice is yours. You're on earth. You get to choose. Do I want to learn through negative benefit or do I want to learn through positive benefit? In order to shift you from negative benefit into positive benefit, you have to locate the place in your body where you're holding the greatest amount of tension, stress, emotional distortion, and negative energy. And once you lift that out through a very specific practices, and there's three of them, Ma Xing, M-A-X-I-N-G, Bester size, B-E-S-T-E-R-C-I-S-E, or ICE centric strength, which is I-C-E centric strength. And as you do these, get in these positions and go through these movements again and again and again and again and again, you create an immediate reduction in your lifetime accumulated stress load, which brings you into a greater state of electromagnetic coherence, which puts you in a new position in relationship to the world around you. And in that new position, guess what? Instead of where you're closed-minded, you're open. Where you're unhappy, you're happy. Where you're disconnected, you're connected. Where you're anxious, you're excited. Where you're fearful, you're confident. Where you're self-righteous, you're righteous. And where you're angry, you're loving. And all you have to do, there's no guru's asses to kiss. There's no fancy equipment. Do you think a God, like think about this for a second. Do you think a God would send you to a planet where you couldn't sort yourself out easily? No. No, not at all. 
a human would do that, but a God wouldn't do that. And all humans are a clear, direct reflection of source. And so it was made simple for us. And I happened to be lucky enough to uncover and figure out how to do this. And it's actually profound. It's unbelievable. Well, yeah, I think to put people on this planet and not give them that that ability to, to not have the answers or not be able to find the answers. And I mean, that would be pretty sadistic. And I don't think that that's what most people believe in when it comes down to it. We have so many people from so many different walks of life that listen and having those answers inside of us and being able to, I, I think it is such a beautiful thing, this mind-body connection and how the work through these exercises that you talked about, that they can get us into that alignment in a way that... That permanently changes you forever to the positive. There's nothing like it on the planet. I promise you. Well, I think it's empowering, especially for those who, you know, going through a stressful situation, talking about that lack of control, losing your power in a situation that that you actually do have that in a way that you may not understand just yet, but to be able to find these healing modalities. And I definitely want to talk to you a little bit more about what you offer through your practice and the amazing book that you've written as well. I would love to switch gears as well and ask you, we have a few questions we ask all of the guests when they come on the show so the listeners can get to know you a little bit better. And then after that, I really want to dive into just some of the work you do to to help people find these solutions. The first one that I have for you, what is your favorite self-care practice right now? My favorite self-care practice is Besterside. (laughs) I mean, Besterside is the business. It literally arrests the aging process. I'm 55 years old and I look the same way I did when I was 35. I have the same body that I had three decades ago. Wow. No swelling in my organs, no pain in my joints, no saggy eyes, no dropped eyelids, no wrinkles on my face, none of that. It literally stops the aging process. And so the reason why I love Besterside so much is because it allows me to be self-reliant. I don't have to have a codependent, dependent relationship with a practitioner to help me. I can help myself. If I'm a little constipated because I ate some airplane food that was outside of my normal routine, I know what position I got to get into and boom, it solves it. Within a day, everything's perfect again. If I have a poor night's sleep because I got a lot of things on my mind, guess what? I get up the next day, I take some stress out of this part of my body. The next day, my sleep is absolutely perfect again. So whatever comes into my life, I can sort out immediately. Well, before this conversation, I had never heard of Besterside before. Oh, no, uh, because Besterside yeah. is the best form of exercise. That's why nobody's heard <laughs> of it, because nobody's been doing it. <laughs> Can you give a brief description of what it is or where do we find more information about Besterside? Yeah, like how do people get access to Besterside? Right now, the only way anyone could get access to Besterside is if they knew me or they knew one of my practitioners. Besterside is usually taught one-on-one because the forces are so strong that you need to have guidance. And so I made a plan that this year I will create a very in-depth video to make sure that everyone who goes into this program through a digital copy is able to make sure that they don't hurt themselves. I have a high level of physical intelligence. A lot of people don't. People who don't have a high level of physical intelligence 
they tend to hurt themselves physically. Some people are severely depersonalized, which means that their energy is no longer in their body. They create a lot of injuries for themselves. So I have to be very meticulous on how I create this video. A lot of thought has got to go into it. And I'm going to do that this year. And it's going to be a power. It's going to be anyone who gets it and implements these strategies and goes through the process exactly the way that I teach you, they will get the results that I say. Well, and I do think that's so important, especially from that that physical intelligence perspective, because so many people just don't understand. Like, I, I think from especially the perspective of the experience you had as a SEAL, you gain that experience and that intelligence in a way that a lot of us just don't have. And that power through mentality that people have for things where they're, they're falling apart. And it really is important to have some guidance through any kind of physical practice, especially that, that people are taking. So as very cool. I cannot wait to see what you do with that. Another question I have for you. I am a big fan of these one word themes for the year. If you had a one word theme for the year ahead of us, what would that be? Alignment. Alignment. Nothing trumps alignment. You're either in alignment or you're not. If you're out of alignment, you have pain somewhere in your life. When you're in alignment, there's no pain in your life. There's pleasure. You want to be in pleasure? You want to be in pain. You want to be in pleasure? Do everything you can to get into alignment and everything can to maintain that alignment. Alignment, alignment, alignment. I think that is the perfect word, especially as we're getting into a brand new year. I think that it's a time that we're looking to make changes. We, most of us are pushing toward that, you know, we, we want to, to move in that positive direction. And I think alignment is the way to get there. Yeah, because here's the funny thing. All nervous systems vibrate to the highest functioning nervous system in a collective field. That means that whenever you're with somebody who's in supreme alignment, when you're around them, you don't have anxiety. When you're around them, you access peace. When you're around them, your emotions are grounded. When you're around them, your mind is more clear. When you're around them, your body is more comfortable. And so when you choose to be in supreme alignment, guess what happens to your kids? Your kids get a better life simply because your focus is on maintaining your alignment. Mm -hmm. When you're a mom and you're out of alignment, your kids have a shitty life. That's the truth. Like nobody wants to hear that. That's reality. Do everything you can to get in alignment. How do you do that? You remove generational, individual, and familial levels of stress, tension, and trauma from your body, your brain, and your nervous system. And for every bit that you take out, you will be in a greater state of alignment. Yeah. Well, we can do better for the next generations because we're having, yeah, yeah we're having these conversations. We're being open about yeah. this. And when we're putting that work toward ourselves, it really does reflect like so much to the people around us. So I think that what a great way to start creating the change we want to see. Mm, powerful powerful. Yeah. Now my final question from the questions we ask all guests, what are you most looking forward to? Yeah. I mean, the thing that I'm looking forward to is just maintaining the, the process that I'm in. So I set myself up so that every morning, Monday through Friday, I have another practitioner or another modality where I'm receiving the work. And so my goal in the immediate future is to keep that consistent for 2023 like a minimum of four to five days a week, I'm receiving some energy work, some body work, some emotional work, some psychological work to continue to keep refining and buffing and sanding and polishing so that I can shine brighter and be of greater service to those who I'm fortunate to have in my life, professionally, romantically, or interpersonally. 
it's a great way to learn more about yourself that I think you can also bring to to the people that you're serving. But it also, you know, in addition to now you're learning about something new that may may benefit potentially someone that comes to you, you are working on yourself and you are able to operate at that higher frequency that will in turn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. It's great. Yeah. I mean, when I'm flowing, everyone around me is flowing because they're flowing. I'm flowing more, right? It benefits me. It benefits them. Like Mm -hmm. everyone is connected. There's no getting out of oneness consciousness. So either you're doing your part to lift the energy or you're doing your part to reduce the energy. And I want to do my part as best I can with the time that I have to help humanity evolve to the next step and stage of human evolution. And I'm excited because it's happening, right? These conversations that you or I are having, they're happening all over the world. And this is exciting. This is a really radical time, a great time to be on the planet. I love the age that I'm at. I'm in my fifth mastery year, and it's going to be a very powerful year. I found a mentor that I want to work with who's a grandmaster in esoteric acupuncture. And it's going to be a very powerful year. And I'm going to bring more light and more love to this planet than I've ever brought before. And it's exciting. That's lovely. So inspiring to hear that. And I think that, you know, you're so right. We can either lift the energy or reduce the energy. And there are a lot of people out there that reduce the energy that when we really take the time to reflect, and I'm sure that everybody at one point or another has reduced the energy in the room. But when we really take the time to reflect, that's not the person we want to be. And so if we can be taking those steps to improving the energy of the room and to bringing our light and spreading our light. I mean, that's that really is an incredible thing. So I want to thank you for the work that you're doing. And thank you. Yeah, this this has been really a powerful conversation. So before I let you go, you do have a book and you have an amazing practice. Share with our listeners more about the book and where they can find you and connect. Okay, I'm I'm gonna shift a little bit in a slightly different direction. What I'm gonna share is I'm also a musician singer-songwriter, and I wrote an album called Heart and Soul, and the music is incredible. And it'll be released to the public. I already have like a distilled down version of that on my website at truebodyintelligence.com. You can listen to it there. But the mastered, upgraded, amazing, dynamic, sweet, powerful music that will ground your emotions and calm you down immediately, but also make you feel the sweet emotions of life, that album, it's going to be rocking. The other thing is humans have different learning channels. You got kinesthetic, energetic, visual, and auditory. And if you're a listener because you love podcasting, you're obviously, you like to learn through your auditory channel. I teach you through the element of dynamic energy through music. And so you'll be learning, but I'll be teaching you in a very different way. But it will be activating different aspects of your consciousness. And it will help you grow in ways that you don't understand consciously. Because the work that I do is outside of where the conscious mind functions. Because my mastery is in metaphysics. The book that I wrote is called Free for Life. U.S. Navy SEALs Path to Inner Freedom and Outer Peace. It's a really good book. Everyone who I've talked to that's read the book immediately says the same thing. 
once I started reading it, I couldn't put it down and I resonated with everything you wrote. And for me, I think it's important for people to have confirmation, but I think it's also important for people to have education that to know that someone knows exactly what they're feeling, has been through similar experiences. And then on the last third of the book, I explain the systems that I use in order for you to get yourself out of the aspect of hell that that part of your consciousness is living in. And that's very powerful. The easiest way to get in touch with me and have a conversation is you got to read the book first. If you're not willing to read the book, you don't care enough about yourself in that way. Why would I ever want to get on the phone with you? Mm -hmm. I'm into people who are vested, right? You got to jump through a few hoops, read the book. I did an auditory version of the book. If you're a listener and you love it, I read it to you. And then I give you a song at the end called Freedom, which is a bonus, which is awesome. And then when you go to the website, we will figure out a way to make sure that you get access to one Vester size, maybe an auditory version of the book, maybe the first or second chapter or something. We'll let you listen to the first module and the eight stepping stones, just so at least you walk away with starting your path. I know it can be intimidating to... One, seek out outside of where you usually roll because of what the people around you might say. So guess what? You get to go to the website. You get to access these free gifts and these free tools in the privacy of your own home. Like use them again and again and again. Do it for 28 days. And I promise you, you're going to start to see a shift. Well, that's amazing. And I will definitely make sure to link your website and your book in the show notes so that the listeners can read up, learn more, order the book. I think that auditory version sounds really cool as well. I've gotten a little bit more into audiobooks in the last probably year or so. And I think it's so cool sometimes to hear the words in the voice of the person that wrote them. But what a great experience, what a great opportunity and anywhere on social media that they should connect with you as well. Yeah, I mean, in social media, you can you can just punch in True Body Intelligence, right? There's a Facebook page. There's a, a YouTube channel. I don't know that there's much on there. There's Twitter. and I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just not my, <laughs> that's uh, not my hustle. Uh, before I start my comedy career, I'll put some stuff on, on, on TikTok to make people laugh. But Instagram, I think that's where people get information. And I do a lot of podcasting. I will spend the next three years giving people more education and more understanding around stress and distortion and, and development and growth and, and all these things that have helped me and fascinate me and impassion me to a life of service. Amazing. I'll find all of the links in and link them here for everyone. And again, we'll make sure that um, that everybody has access to order the book as well. But I, I just want to say, Christopher, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your story with us and for sharing this wisdom. I think that, again, it is so needed. We all carry different types of stress, different pain in our lives. And to be able to start pursuing a change and growth, this is so empowering. So thank you for everything everything that you do. And thank you for coming on the show. Mm. Well, look, thank you so much. Thank you for the listeners for listening. Uh, you're taking time out of your day to tune in to the things that, you know, I've developed and my experiences and this podcast that you're hosting. And it's a big deal because every person who listens, you gather information that you get to share with your friends, family, loved ones, colleagues that might benefit their life. And so I want to thank you for your devotion to at least educating yourself 
constantly into seeing ways in which you can grow beyond your own limitations. I think that's a very, very, very powerful position to be in. And it's a serious devotion. And I'm grateful when my brothers and sisters that were all part of this collective are doing their part, are doing their share. Because we either all go together or we don't go at all. That's how this thing goes. And so I'm happy to have people out there that are doing what you're doing, what I'm doing, and what the listeners are doing. So I feel grateful. Thank you so much. Once again, I want to thank Christopher for coming on the show and sharing these helpful strategies and his wisdom with us. I truly enjoyed getting to hear his story and I'm so inspired by his mission to really bring more light to the world and to help people get out of these often debilitating stress states. I appreciate the work he does and can't wait to read his book. If you would like to connect with Christopher, I've shared a link to his book and website in the show notes so that you can learn more. Thank you again for tuning into this week's conversation. I'm so grateful to each and every one of you and am so inspired by this community. If our conversation resonated with you, I would love it if you shared it on social media and tagged us. And one really great way to lend your support to the show is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in from. It really helps us to get the word out and it lets me know what you think. If you have a topic you'd like to unpack in a future episode, you can email me at Valerie, V-A-L-E-R-I-E at wellnessandwanderlust.net or shoot me a DM on Instagram at wellnessandwanderlustblog. I hope you have an amazing day and we'll catch you next time.